welcome to Pinnacle's NBA Breakdown. This is the outright season betting preview. I'm joined by two leading experts who share a really rich knowledge of the game. They're full inside and out. First, Seth Partnow, Stats Bomb Advisor, and he provides adept insight into the NBA and basketball analytics for The Athletic. He lives in Milwaukee and formerly the Director of Basketball Research and none other than the Milwaukee Bucks. Alongside Seth as well, we've got The Athletic's senior NBA writer Joe Varden whose years of experience as a reporter has seen him garner well it's got to be said a huge huge following one of the most widely respected sports journalists in the NBA um, and also brilliant access across Cleveland and the NBA as a whole in fact really cool about Joe he had really close ties during LeBron James's second spell with the Cavaliers. And they are going to give us an insight into loads of different things. Pre-season, roundup and trades, a um, bit of who the market movers are from the last season as well. Outrights and predictions and uh, just any other business as well. I'm your host, James Gregg. And throughout the season, we'll be checking in occasionally and seeing if we were right or wrong in this preview. We're always nailing our colours to the mast here on Pinnacle with our podcast. And I want to just see, uh, first of all, um, about the trading activity of some of the teams. Who looks to have got it right? And also, who looks like they've made some big changes and therefore might take a while to kick into gear? Uh, because that's the thing, isn't it? It's all right making good trades, but if it doesn't all work and come together nicely... Um, you know, you can struggle for the early part of this season. So I'll start with you, Joe. Um, take it away. Right. Well, I'm concerned right off the bat because you said we have to be right at least sometimes. So that's, <laughs> that's a problem. Um, but I think, you know, whether it's you're an NBA fan or, or you're looking to, to put some money down, um, I think the first thing, the, one of the first teams you look at is the Lakers. And they have a roster full of who's who um, covering <laughs> pretty much the last decade plus in the NBA and, and they added to LeBron and Anthony Davis, um, you know, a former uh, MVP type player in, in Russell Westbrook uh, averaging triple doubles and the like. Um, they also brought back Dwight Howard um, and Carmelo Anthony, of course, is now in the fold after 17 years of, of wanting to play with LeBron. They, they're finally getting together or however many years that was. So, you know, that, that's, that's one of the headlining teams. But when you talk about um, a group that might take a while to get it together, I mean, these guys are all, you know, they're old. Let's, let's just call it for what it is. They're, they're an older group and, and um, it's going to take a while to either mesh defensively. And then we have to see if they're going to defend at all. Um, which when you have a group of entirely older players, that, that can be a question. It's just, it's hard to be mo motivated to play defense in, in October and November and December. So um, that's where I'm starting right there in terms of uh, a, a great looking roster and you're not sure what you're going to get out of it. Yeah, Seth, it's interesting, isn't it? Just talking about gelling and meshing. You know, there's been some under radar picks, hasn't there? But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on terms of rosters and trades, how they've, how they've started so far? Um, the other team that I think has has much of a new look team is the Chicago Bulls. Mm. Um, they've kind of completely revamped their backcourt. Um, you know, adding uh, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, and of course Demar Derozan around Zach Levine. Um, they're a team that's going to score a ton. Will they guard anybody ever? Uh, that's a very <laughs> open question. Um, 
this is a team that has that has spent a lot of future assets to build kind of the current roster with the with those players I just mentioned and Nikola Vucevic as well as uh, second year forward Patrick Williams. Um, and so and that's also the kind of situation where if it starts bad, um, there might start to be some 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 whispers, some 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 agitation. So that that's one of those those spots that I'm looking at. I'm I have to admit I'm lower on the Bulls than than a lot of people are, mainly because I just I just don't think they're going to guard and, I, and and feel like adding DeRozan to Levine was was almost too much of of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, after you know, really some of their for their first editions of the offseason in in Ball and in Caruso almost were perfect perfectly complementary to uh, to to Levine in terms of of you know masking his weaknesses and and allowing his strengths as a as a shot creator to uh, make up for some of their their own uh, drawbacks and then just just adding DeRozan is just I it, the, the fit of that is just very weird to me. You know what? It's uh, music to my ears that you started talking about the Chicago Bulls too early. Call me a typical Brit who may have indulged in a bit of last dance action last year, but that's my team in the NBA. So I like this. And I thought that actually Williams was a great um, rookie last year. He looked really good. And uh, Levine as well. You're right. But he, he does feel a little bit like that. And I enjoyed the comment about, are they going to guard anybody ever? Anyway, um, we'll move on from them. Let's move on to Ben Simmons, if you don't mind. I mean, how's his <laughs> return going to affect Philly? Um, because that was that kind of caught my eye. And any other franchises or players? I mean, we, we can go individuals that are going to hit the ground running from game one. Is he one of them, Ben Simmons? Oh, I don't know that he's going to hit the ground at all. Um, I mean, he's certainly floating out there uh, in the atmosphere. I mean, he's suspended for, for the, the Sixers' right. first game. I mean, that's good to know. And it's, it's unclear to me that, that he's really, that this is even going to happen. Um, the, the first couple of days that he's been allowed to practice in Philadelphia, he's barely put himself out there. I mean, there's the, the, cell, there's the footage everybody's seen of him at practice with the cell phone in his pocket widely reported that on the day he was thrown out of practice, which is Tuesday in the United States, uh, Doc Rivers asked him to participate in a defensive drill. And he said, no. And this is the, t- this is the playbook for, for wanting to, to force your way out uh, of a team, despite being under contract for, I think four years and $177 million, he's just not going to do it. And he's going to be a jerk and he's going to make it. So it's an untenable situation. Um, which I suppose is more effective than holding out, uh, certainly less expensive for him. Um, but it's, it, you know, it, it's getting to the point already where, you know, how, how they can make him work in, in Philadelphia is, is, is hard to figure out. Yeah. And I, I actually saw Seth really laughing there on our Zoom call here as we record this podcast. What was the chuckle for, Seth? Oh, just, just you know, the... The, the hit the ground running. It's, it's, there's, there's sort of maybe a dead cat bounce joke here somewhere, but no, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 this is, as Joe alluded to, this is ugly. Uh, and the, the odd part is, is I, is I almost feel like Simmons is doing himself no favors um, in that he's always a player who is very specific in how you integrate him into a team and build around him because he's got some very specific strengths and some very, visible weaknesses. And so the number of teams that, that would potentially be interested in him was already somewhat limited. Uh, he's, there, there's some players who they come on the market, every team in the league would be interested in them because they fit everywhere. He's not that guy. Um, so there's already like fewer teams that, that could possibly have interest. And now 
Um, if for nothing else, given the, the, the salary matching rules in a trade, the amount you'd have to give up to get him, I, it's, it's, uh, I have a hard time seeing a lot of NBA executives talking themselves into, into a, a player's going to do this. Now you could say, well, James Harden did it, did it last year. James Harden and Ben Simmons are two completely different classes of players. So James Harden is, is okay. Well, yeah, fine. He did that, but he's one of the five best players in the world when he plays. So you live with that, I guess. Uh, ben Simmons is a top 20 ish player maybe. And that's a, that's just a massive difference in the amount of disruption you're willing to put up with uh, to, to add that to your team. So I, I, he's, I, I feel like this is almost making it harder for this to be resolved uh, in, in a way that's, that's uh, acceptable to him because he's in, like the places that he might want to play might no longer be interested in him. It's so interesting this because I think a lot of our betters, Joe, they won't know this um, about, you know, and, and what a disruption is going to be um, in, in terms of, I mean, I didn't know about the phone in the training, the phone in the pocket and refusing to do a drill to Dot Rivers. I mean, how dare he? Um, yeah. Anything else to add on that? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, I think when you think about the Sixers, I guess what we're trying to say is um, as currently constructed, they're an unknown because what you see now, certainly more than almost any other team is not the team you're going to see come April and May. Either either Ben Simmons will get it together and rejoin the team and play, which we don't think that's, that's, that's tenable um, or reasonable, but then he's going to be moved. And so you start wondering for whom, and you look at that, the size of the contract and you understand how NBA deals work. And you're thinking that there's going to be uh, a very good player or two coming Philadelphia's way paired with uh, a Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris and, and on down the line. I, I wanted to say at, at lunch today uh, with uh, some colleagues, we're talking about the idea that Kyrie Irving um, is not necessarily an attractive trade candidate either, just because of, of how he's conducted himself, both with this vaccine situation and just what he's done on now three different teams over the course of his career. Um, and, and we've seen suggestions that Philadelphia doesn't want him, that Daryl Morey in, in Philly doesn't want Kyrie Irving. But if Ben gets worse and worse and kind of brings himself down to the Kyrie level, you know, the money does work or it's close. And so then now you start wondering if you do see a Kyrie for Ben Simmons swap and you can talk about the various fits on either club. But, um, you know, I think Kyrie playing with Joel and, and some of those other guys, I mean, I, I think they, that slips them back into the conversation. Gents, um, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about sort of uh, market moves a little bit. If you don't mind, I'm just looking, you've already mentioned the Bulls, Seth. Um, they're an outsider who could potentially prosper. Any others that we're looking at in terms of uh, teams that may not have necessarily been in the frame, maybe for the last 10 seasons, who knows, but have made some good moves, made some big strides last season, got themselves, you know, the Bulls are a great example of that, made some smart trades. Anything that springs to mind, Seth, we'll start off with you. Um, to be clear, I'm, again, I'm, I, I think I'm probably lower on the bulls than, than consensus. Um, again, I think, I think it's, there's, there's, there's excitement. Um, and I have, I have bulls friends who get mad at me and say that I, you know, I, I'm not a big enough fan of Zach Levine and so on and so forth. And maybe you feel the same way, but, uh, uh, so I'm not, I'm not certain that, that it all adds up for them. Um, 
one of the teams that that's sort of viewed as as kind of up and coming is I think uh, I think the Charlotte Hornets last year's uh, um, Rookie of the Year Lamelo Ball um, got a, a number of of very interesting younger players who are who are starting to come into their own. Um, uh, Miles Bridges didn't 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 uh, reach a contract extension. He's playing for a new deal. Um, they have one of my sort of uh, favorite under the radar players in the NBA and PJ Washington, who I think is a, a, a guy who is a name people are going to know uh, whether it's in Charlotte or another team, a guy people in the, are going to know for his sort of playoff exploits. I think he's that kind of player who's who just shows up on winning teams in the postseason over the course of his career. Um, so they're, they're a team that I think that I think people have some expectations in terms of, of really starting to push towards a playoff spot this year. Um, then on the other end, um, there, there's some teams, notably the Utah jazz where you wonder if, okay, they're a team that can win a ton of regular season games. If they decide to play the same old way, they know the same old way doesn't work in the playoffs. They know they don't play that way, the, the play, they, the way they play in the regular season, in the playoffs. So do they start to experiment in the regular season? And does that cost them some wins? Uh, over the 82 games uh, with the eye towards them being a better playoff team. Mm. Um, though that that's something I'd be very interested in seeing over, over the first bit of the season is if, if a team like a Utah really starts to, 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 to try some things a little bit more uh, during the regular season than they may have in the past. I like that that's a lot. Yeah. That's interesting stuff that you said that you mentioned Utah and, and sort of tinkering because that's actually what Milwaukee did last year. Um, you know, they were a stout, um, you know, con- very consistent, I think won the most games in back-to-back seasons, something like that. And then fell short in, in two, in what were supposed to be two deep playoff runs. And so the next year or last year, they, they come out and they specifically do some things on both sides, uh, offensively and defensively, um, that were in preparation for the playoffs. And, and yes, there were other things that happened, some injuries in Brooklyn and, and the West sort of getting sh- uh, shaken up like it did. But th- the fact is, is that the tinkering paid off and it, it, it paid off in the form of a, of a Bucks title. And so you think that's a reasonable solution for the jazz because they are, they have been so good over the last couple of seasons in the, in the regular season and, and then just fallen, fallen flat, basically come playoff time. I, um, I like the heat, you know uh, I mean, they're a finals team from one year ago, two seasons ago, who was funny. We were talking <laughs> yeah. off air that the bubble was like 10 minutes. It was only about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It seems like that. Um, but so, right. So, so that, so you're looking at them, uh, a, a finals team from the bubble and now they have uh, PJ Tucker and Kyle Lowry, two tested vets, two champions. Um, they, you know, they, they provide a boost there. I spent some time in Charlotte during the preseason, got a chance to talk to LaMelo, got a chance to talk to, uh, James Borrego and Mitch Kupchak, the general manager. Um, and I'm with you, Seth, that, that you look at that roster between LaMelo and, and a healthy Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, um, on down the line, but they lost a preseason game by 68 and they lost another one by 30 in a game. They were down by like 42 and, and there were some injuries and the preseason doesn't count. That's still an early red flag. Um, that, that that's a team that you wonder how much, 
how much progress that they'll be able to make. It just, anytime you lose a game by 70 points, um, that, that's, that's the reason for me to pick my head up off the desk and, and shake my head. Um, you know, the nuggets are a team that people are looking at, but Jamal Murray's probably not going to play until April at least. And, uh, and then with the LA Clippers, I mean, they were my pick to win each of the last two finals. And, and of course they didn't even come close. They just stumbled um, at the end of the season. They just, yeah, it was bizarre. So it, bizarre. it is, it is bizarre. I mean, they didn't, they just kind of weren't cut out to handle the bubble. And then um, last year, you know, different coach uh, things were working out. Okay. And then Kawhi Leonard gets hurt and you know, who knows when he's going to come back. So uh, not sure what to make of the Clippers other than, um, they, you know, I think they're a little worse in the backcourt and, and Kawhi is going to be out for a, an extended period of time. You know what's, um, I want to pick you up back on that point actually that Seth made, which was brilliant about, you know, the jazz potentially tinkering in the regular season. Now they know comfortably they can coast through and pick up a load of regular season wins and make those playoffs. When people are looking out for results and perhaps looking at form with some of these bigger teams then, is that something that they might they might look at um you know particularly close score line between two teams that you previously you know prior to the game you might not actually think that they were that evenly matched right and then actually there's a tight score line is that a sign of tinkering you know if if, team, if people aren't actually watching every single game it, a sign of tinkering is a, a couple of shock losses in the regular season or maybe not as many minutes for plays that you'd expect to see. What are people looking out for in that situation, Seth? I think I think it's more the latter, uh, especially in in this era of of high volume three point shooting. Um, uh, games can the, the 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 possible scores of games can can be get weird. Just one team, you know, makes nineteen threes in a night, and and that's what happened that night. He doesn't. It, 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 the NBA players are really good at shooting. And so sometimes the ball just goes in a lot. Um, I, so it's more like with, with, it, it varies team by team, but for a team like Utah, how often are they playing without a traditional center? How often are they playing, um, you know, maybe uh, um, three or four guards around Rudy Gobert to trying to very different offensive things. How often are they, now this is something you'd probably have to be watching the game knows, but how often are they are they playing a switching defense? These these are some strategic things, but just from a from a what lineups are they using standpoint? Uh, that's really way where you're, you're going to see some of that tinkering. Um, you know, a lot of their success in the regular season has been okay. We have Rudy Gobert in the back. We can be if we're just solid everywhere else defensively and know where we have to be. We'll be really good defensively, so we can get away with some you know. Uh, more offensively minded players like Joe Ingles and, and Bogdanovich on the floor. Um, but that's like, if they're relying on that sort of front court, that's the same old thing that's been exposed, you know, multiple times in the playoffs. Um, and, and if they're getting away from that and, 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 you know, getting playing more, a more athletic style mm. is, is, is really what, what I'd be looking at there. Um, maybe are they, because in the playoffs, they end up just here, Donovan Mitchell, have the ball and go do something. Um, is that, is that a style they end up going to more in the regular season or do they continue? Uh, they, they were certainly one of the better watches last regular season because they were such a ball movement team. Um, and then kind of, again, flip that on its head in the playoffs. So do they lean, almost lean into that playoff style a little bit more. Those are the kinds of, of sort of almost qualitative factors that I'm looking at to see 
if a team is just trying some stuff and if they're trying some stuff, some of the stuff they're trying isn't going to work. So on, on balance, they're going to be a little bit worse, even if they find some stuff that's actually better, just, you know, you have to, you have to try and fail to try and succeed. We're going to go for some of the outrights and predictions and stuff as well. Guys, if you were going to go for an MVP uh, this year, um, I mean, there's a few to look at. I mean, Luka Doncic, you know, he's a favorite with Pinnacle. Um, he's the current face of NBA um, 2K22 as well, soon to be the face of the sport, perhaps. Uh, you know, Yanis is just behind. Joel Embiid, you've already given a bit of a mention to. Kevin Durant, I mean, his, his chances, he's highly rated with the bookmakers. You know, he's 7.4 with us on Pinnacle. So, Guys, who 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 do you kind of fancy for that? I mean, it's kind of hard to look past Doncic, but any others? I mean, it, it's there's a few up there, isn't there? You know, you talked earlier on about top five players in the in the NBA. There are probably eight or nine contenders potentially. You might be, disabuse me of that notion, Joe. Well, James, as you as you know, and and I think most of your listeners probably know too, is that the MVP it's a it's something that's voted on by the media. So some of this, and I'm one, I'm a voter consistently. Um, some of it is narrative driven. So when you talk about, um, various contenders, I mean, it's, it would seem to be that this is Luka Doncic's year. He seems to be the next standard bearer, uh, from LeBron in terms of the, the complete player. Um, you know, and he's got more in his toolbox than say Giannis, who's of course a two-time MVP. Um, but there's, he just has more to his game. So you think that maybe he's the next one. Kevin Durant is considered just in, in talk amongst those of us who vote, people still think that maybe he is the best player in the league currently. Um, and what he did for team USA at the Olympics, um, you know, that, that kind of adds to the story. I mean, this is somebody who basically carried a team of stars on his back to win a gold medal. So now you're coming into a team that has lost Kyrie Irving. If the nets are as good as people think he's in there, you said, is there somebody we're not talking about? Um, you didn't mention LeBron. I don't think he's an MVP anymore, but at his age, if the Lakers are really good and he's putting up 26, eight and eight, then he's going to get some votes. But the guy to keep a watch out for is Steph Curry. Um, and, and I actually really considered voting for him last year. I ultimately did not um, just because of where they were in the league. But he was tremendous. And he was there basically their sole reason for, for uh, winning as many games as they did. And if the Warriors climb back up into that top four and Steph goes on a, a torrid scoring, uh, you know, pace like he like he was on last year and hitting threes at record at a record clip he will be back in the discussion mark my words he what he was breaking all sorts of records as well wasn't he i can't remember the records off the top of my head i'm sure you guys know them off the back of your hand but he was absolutely ma magical wasn't he um so that's a good shout and for the listeners he is at 10.4 on pinnacle so if joe is to be believed and the you know things working uh, Golden State Warriors favour could happen. Um, narrative driven, like you say, that's uh, quite interesting to know. Seth, who's your pick for an MVP? Obviously, it's difficult pre, you know, prior to the season starting to really pick one, isn't it? And sure. nail your colours to the mass. But and we will we'll look. We'll talk again in a few weeks' time, and we'll uh, we'll probably pick someone else. But um, but yeah, what, what's your, what's your thoughts? 
So I, I, I want to go a little farther than, than Joe did. Um, just, you know, he, he brought up Luka Doncic and, and, and sort of the narrative thing. I, I, am, I, I do not think that Doncic should be the favorite for MVP. Not that I don't think he's a great player. It's just, again, because of that narrative, which is sort of two parts. It's him having a great season, which is completely in his control, but then also how good the team is. Um, is Dallas going to be a top three or four seed in the West? I don't know. Did they, did they get a lot better from a roster standpoint from last year? I don't know. Um, a lot's going to depend on, you know, whether they actually see the version of Kristaps Porzingis that, that uh, has been promised. Um, we've seen that in fits and starts over the last couple of years. Um so I think that that the the issue with with Doncic isn't just that that he has to be spectacular himself. It's that the the the, the Mavericks have to be better than I think significantly better than I think they're likely to be. Um, and that's you know, Joe mentioned you know if the Warriors find themselves back in the mix, I think that that's that that, that Doncic should be talked about the same way. If the if the Mavericks find themselves in the mix, he'll be right there. So having said that, I think that, that Durant is, is the guy who goes into the season as, as sort of my preseason pick, um, both, you know, for, for the fact that I, I, you know, Joe said people, some people think he's the best player in the world right now. I'm one of the people who thinks that I thought he was the best player in the playoffs last year. He was the best player at the Olympics. He's going to be the best player on the team that is going to have one of the three or four best records in the league this year, assuming they stay healthy. Um, and, you know, from and just beyond that, from a, a sort of a, a, a super narrative perspective, him, him having perhaps the greatest comeback of all time from what prior to last year had been the most debilitating, you know, regularly suffered injury in basketball in an Achilles tear and him coming back and still being at the peak of his powers. That's a powerful that's a powerful story behind him. If he, if he comes anywhere close to matching the season he had last year with, with the nets, uh, when, he, when he was on the floor, at least if he stays healthy and the nets are, are as good as we think they're going to be. So that's, that's sort of my, my first kind of idea. The second one is a player that, that none of us have mentioned. Um, if the Clippers turn out to be pretty good, uh, with Kawhi out, it's going to Paul George is going to have a, just a massive season, and uh, so I think he's someone who has, has maybe more of a of a of a dark horse is someone who should should get a mention. And he quite is as well uh, with Pinnacle. He's at twenty six point two three, so he's a very long shot. You know, he's sort of like twelfth or thirteenth favorite for that. Um, certainly with the bookies at the moment. So that's very very interesting indeed. You talk about the Nets. Are they as good as we think we are? And I think. We're going to have to finish off, aren't we? Without right. Who, come on, who's it going to be? And it's, it's so difficult at this stage of the season. It is interesting. It's only two seasons since we had all the bubble and things are just getting back to normal. And it's, it, we were saying just before we started recording, Joe, weren't we, that actually it's, it's, uh, it's the first, it feels like the first proper season back in the NBA, doesn't it? In many ways. I know that last season was, but it feels like that that's kind of, the feel I get anyway, and you might dis- disagree with me on that, but it, that's what it feels like from somebody who watches it and enjoys it. Um, 
Can the Bucks defend their title? Um, only the Lakers and the Warriors have gone back to back in the last 20 years. So that's that'd be some achievement. I suppose this what a roundabout way, gents, of me asking you the simple question. Um, who's gonna win? the entire thing this season. Who's it going to be? And uh, you're both pondering. You've both got very serious faces. I love it. Uh, Seth, we'll start with you. Nail your colours to the mask first. Um, I, it, sometimes it's a simple game. Um, the best player wins. I think Kevin Durant's the best player. Uh, the, Nets are, the Nets have plenty good talent around him. Um, I, I think the Nets, even without Kyrie, um, go into the season maybe perhaps less of a favorite than they would have been had, had Kyrie been sort of uh, healthy and in the fold, but between Durant and Harden and the rest of the cast, I think they go into the season as, as, as the team to be. Interesting, concise and very forthright and good reasoning behind it. Joe, can you do the same or are you a bit more torn than Seth? No, I'm not torn. I'm just pissed off that you went with him first because you're <laughs> like an after timer. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I just, I think that's it. I think that, um, I guess what I would add is that Kevin Durant and James Harden have played together before. And it was a time when Russell Westbrook was on the team too. And then from there, they, there was some flaws on the roster. I think that Kevin is older and he's, he has that injury and he was actually injury, injury prone to uh, a large degree last year, as was James. But they're both wiser. They're probably both better players now. Um, and they have Joe Harris, who it's wild for me to say this when I was a beat writer covering the, the Cavaliers. I mean, he was the 15th guy on the team. And now he's perennially the, you know, this one of the very top three point shooters that we have in our league. And he's going to be on a floor with the spacing that, that Durant and, and James Harden provide. So, you know, if James can keep his body together and, and Kevin can manage sort of the, the, the load and, and, and also, um, just sort of the extra two weeks that he played last year with team USA. If, if that doesn't get to him. Yeah. Let's not overthink this. It's, it, it's Brooklyn. It was supposed to be Brooklyn last year. And, uh, and here we are. So yeah, Nets. And they are the favorites as well. The Lake is a second favorite, rather interestingly as well. Look, we're going to talk again at some point. We're going to reconvene. Uh, gents really appreciate all that insight. It was really good. And um, hopefully if you are a listener, you have picked up some insights. These guys are the best in the business and exactly what they're on about. Uh, thank you so much to you, Joe. Um, thank you so much to you, Seth. Uh, give them both a follow on Twitter as well. It's Joe Varden and Seth Partnow as well. Um, at just their names on Twitter. Perfect. Um, couldn't be easier. And if you've not got an athletic subscription, why not? Why not? Because there's some great stuff on there. Uh, so a little plug for the athletic as well. Um, follow us guys. If you stumbled across this podcast, it's at Pinnacle on Twitter, at Pinnacle.betting on Instagram as well, and also Pinnacle.com for all the latest odds and also insight as well. There's some fascinating season previews on there from our own Sam Pierce, plus appropriately a piece on how data can inform your NBA betting as well as a betting preview of this week's upcoming games as well. Uh, thanks for listening. And as ever, um, all the odds that I have mentioned are correct at the time of recording. And let's enjoy the basketball. Thank you.